Hello. We're going to talk about ways kids can learn how to speak up for themselves. Let's call it learning to self-advocate. Let's call it public speaking. All right, so I've got at least three examples. This first picture we're looking at, April of 2016. We're going to see one about a year later next. So here, the one we're starting with is John at his first public speaking with the Scouts. And uh, I cannot say enough good things about Scouts. We got into a really nice group of kids, a group of boys. They were just so open and kind to him. He started uh, with them in second grade. He kind of piggybacked into it, you know, like partially through the year. And we could say that they're giving him some accommodations when he would go through the, all the units. He really loved it. And uh, it's currently, well, we're in the middle of self-quarantine. So, um, uh, but anyway, back to here. So this is a picture of his first, uh, first time with a microphone. <laughs> so that would be four, almost four years ago. No, more than five, four, almost four and a half. So anyway, you can see him a little, not sure exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with this thing, but I got a death grip on it. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that he got a chance to do there was um, they always had a microphone and the kids would get up and participate in the, in the ceremonies. Okay, so the idea there is it's not just one time stand up and, and give give something that someone tells you what to do. I want you to think about in all of the ways that you don't want your kids to learn to self-advocate. You want them to say, yes, mommy. Yes, daddy. <laughs> you want zero back talk. You want them just to chop, chop, get on it. But you see, that's really not what we want. We're really not trying to raise robotic little ABA kiddos that just do exactly what they're told. Now, my kid, the one you're looking at here, he's 13 now, at least 13 birthday candles. Now, in all behaviors, is he age appropriate? No, but he can say age appropriate. <laughs> and he talks about it a lot. <laughs> so anyway, developmental delay, right? What do you, what do you say? You just... You meet them where they are, and you just keep pushing forward. There's so many things that go with it. Executive functioning, social skills, immune system, education, joy. We talk about that all the time in all of our other podcasts together. But the idea of, re of rebellion, okay? Wrap that, wrap, put that in your pipe and smoke it. So um, to learn, if we really want them to truly think independently, then whenever they throw that stuff on us, we've got to not make it a confrontational thing, right? So if he kind of looks at me, flips me off a little bit, or mom, you just, uh, whatever. It's that teenage lip, right, that he hears everywhere. And so the better thing for me to do, rather than getting angry and making everything a confrontation, is that I'll just sling it right back at him or make a joke or grab him, tickle him, or say, oh man, I thought you wanted races. Or I'll say, oh, I thought you were earning your phone back. Or, gosh, I sure thought you wanted that Happy Meal tonight. And then I make a smile on my face, right? So I want him to realize, whoops, I sure screwed up. Um, another way that he will show rebellion is uh, 
he, he wants the audience, right? So during these days here of self-quarantine and so many Zoom therapies coming in and not enough exposure to other kids and getting out, um, we do our best, but there's still not enough. Um, he'll, uh, he, he's working in one room right next to me. So whenever he starts squawking, ver verbally stimming, monkey talk, if you don't have, if you, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, count your blessings, make a judgment against me, and go find a beer. <laughs> but if you know what I'm talking about, all right, so he's, you know, he's looking for the audience. And so he's going to, and I can try to ignore him. Have you ever had one of your kids just at it until, you know, you might, you might as well capitulate? but I'm not going to capitulate. So I need to change that neural pathway, that habit he has that he has to win. And he's going to, it's not echolea. It's just monkey talk of saying it over and over and over and over and over and over and like a, like a kid in the checkout at the grocery store, nagging you until you give in. So I'm going to always delay it. I'm going to kick the can down the road. If he nags me again, I, I, here's several ways that I might approach it. So he's, he wants a croissant. He, he chucked down a whole box of them yesterday and like a whole box of croissants, like 12. And um, so he's, I think he's got an addiction for them. It's probably really hitting that, you know, a carbohydrate uh, um, uh, f fix. <laughs> so um, I, uh, uh, th th for some reason he would uh, be doing um, like squawking or nagging, right? Mom, I need a croissant. I want a croissant. You're going to go to the store. 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 Or it could be Happy Meals, right? Those are his two top things to nag me about. Oh, braces. I forgot three. Braces. I want braces, Mom. I want braces, Mom. I want... So if I can, I will ignore him. I will walk away. We've talked about that before. If I am unable to ignore him, I'm not going to let him just go on and on. Not that I need to win, or although two reasons, I've had Dr. David Wood tell me that I'm always supposed to intervene, and he probably meant that because that's a neural pathway. So if John's allowed to keep on squawking and stemming in a way without me helping him to raise his awareness to it, without him positively choosing to do that because, then he's just continuing that neural pathway toward, you know, the corner all by yourself, oblivion, people rejecting you people looking at you crazy on the streets when you get to be an adult. So um, if we're at home, I'll walk away. And, um, or I will tell him every time you nag me, every time you nag me, that just kicks it, that just makes it, I'm waiting longer. And uh, my friend, um, uh, Paneer reminded me when we were grocery shopping with the kids years ago. And every time the kids would nag about, I want to hurry up and leave mom. She said, okay, great. That's another 15 minutes I get in the store. So I try to do a variation of that with John, that when he nags me, um, that I'll say, okay, I'm just, every time you nag me, buddy, it's going to take longer. Another way I'll approach it is, um, uh, I'll, he'll say it over and over and over and I'll, look at him and put a big wide-eyed look on my face and I'll say, John, you want a croissant? Well, why don't you tell me this? And then I'll really lay it on thick like discovery. And then pretty soon he's laughing and joking because he's getting it that it's that I'm mocking him in a loving way. So a variation of these approaches, not so, oh, and then the other thing he liked to do is he, he made this joke once and I laughed, big mistake. 
so now he'll just repeat it over and over again. I got to give him some new gigs to to inter, to put into his stand-up comedy routine. But he'll go, "Aw," you know, kind of like Homer on The Simpsons. Duh. But this was more like, "Aw," and a funny little face. So he will now push the the joke, whatever he's making, to the point where you're where he, he wants me to be exasperated, and and then he'll go, "Aw." Anyway, you, you got to watch what you develop with your kids, but. Back to the point of tolerating speaking up and tolerating insurrection, right? Is that I will approach that with humor. I will um, I will listen to him. I will do the best I can toward his requests. I'll redirect him. Oh, another one when he nags about things, I'll say, put it on the list. He'll want something, and I'll say, when you're when you're done, when your list is finished. Or I'll tell him I'll explain what I used to do with his brother. <laughs> A long time ago when I could explain what laryngitis was. And when Saxton was a little baby, I would say, I got laryngitis. And I would, you know, I got laryngitis. And I would like, eh, 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 I can't talk. And I just wouldn't. <laughs> so I'd go like verbal, uh, nonverbal for a while. And it drove my kid crazy. So now John hates it. He said, Mom, can you talk? Can you talk? You going to talk to me? And then he'll, he'll keep using new sentences. So sometimes his humor is just so funny that I will laugh. Uh, and, and I'm glad for that. I'm glad that he's starting to get cocky. I, I need to be glad that he's starting to get cocky, right? So here, we're, let's, let's go on to the next picture. All right, so here's almost one year later. So the first one was April. Here's 11 months later. So a little bit more comfy, right? And uh, it's the same room, same kids. And at this particular Scouts, we are with a, a lovely group of Mormon friends, and they are very spiritually oriented. The kids always have participation, and they read. Um, uh, there's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of reading from, from books. And so John can hold his own. Now, it's, it was in one of his initiation ceremonies when he went from cub to boy, and he had a sheet of paper, and he had to read that, much like when he had something at church for Christmas and he got a part and he had to read that in front of everybody with a microphone. Also another chance is when he's in Sunday school class and he gets a chance to read scripture. He has to find it, right? And then he reads it out loud. So you see all of the efforts that he has made in public speaking, learning how to speak up, getting his voice, just the whole auditory processing and then expressive language chunk. Um, uh, everything about uh, phonetic awareness, right? So he could read. Um, everything about just being willing to, to not be so afraid, not twisting his fingers. He is not twisting his fingers. Look at that. Look at the one previous. He's, he's not. He's okay, right? That's fabulous. Okay, so we're back here to peer modeling, neurotypical peer modeling. Uh, he likes to show off. He likes to show off for the girls, right? Uh, or even, I'm, I see this when an, an adult will enter the room, somebody that he respects. He'll start to do things to look, to impress them. And then, depending on how far he goes, he goes too far, and then he does something too silly, right? He, so he's attention-seeking in a way. And if he could just stop halfway, then it would be perfect. And I remind him that when he wants to show off, he needs to keep it all good, I said, John, keep it all good. That's awesome. Because he and I both know exactly what he's up to. He's starting to do things that, like uh, new things, like he took a load of dry laundry out of the dryer tonight. 
He brought the clothes down this morning. He put them in the washing machine, got them in the dryer. They're clean. They smell right, good anyway. And I knew they were wet and now they're dry and they still smell good. So that says something. Then he pulled them out of the dryer and he starts to, and he did that in front of a, of an adult that was in the house that he, he, he respects. And he, I knew he was showing off. And we both went, wow. So John says, what do I do with these? And I said, well, that towel goes in the bathroom and then everything else goes up into your room. So he took it up and that's exactly what we would want him to do, right? So just watch when your kids are um, bugging you toward independence. It's a good thing. You know, it's going to, that laundry and the stuff in the room and everything that he did with that stinky pile of clothes to get them not stinky and heading up the stairs again is probably not perfect, but I don't care. The clothes smell fun enough. He's learning how to do it. Um, vacuuming on Sundays, wrapping the cord around the cord holder on the vacuum. Um, with three Sundays now, with three attempts, he's getting to be pretty decent with the vacuum. And I'm trying to minimize my hand over hand with him. A ton of motor planning to get that cord with the tension tight enough to stay, you know, it's wrapping it around like a figure eight. So he's got to keep the tension appropriate enough and then not fall off and keep going. And then <laughs> it's so funny. He gets to the end and you, you know how it has that little kind of a plastic hook or clip that's got a clip on the end of the cord. And so then he's like, I don't know what to do with this. And he's putting it in all kinds of funny places like, would someone just take this cord out of my life? <laughs> I know I cannot quit until this cord goes away. And then he tries to like shove it down inside. It reminds me of uh, a long time ago, the first year that he, he was willing to help decorate the Christmas tree. Uh, he uh, would have the ornaments and not knowing what else to do with them, he'd just like shove them in, <laughs> in through the holes, through the branches. He didn't have the concept yet of the motor planning and the midline crossover uh, to open up the loopy thing and put it through a branch or around, put the branch through the loopy thing or the hook. So instead he just like would lay them on top of a branch, <laughs> anything to get them off, you know, get them off his back. It was very funny. So to see kids, they know they need to do something and they don't know how to do it. And that's, it's, it's mind boggling sometimes because we have such habits of so many years of, yeah, how to wrap something up or what to do with it. And we get exasperated and then we say, here, let me do it. And we grab it and we take the kid's self-esteem away. So instead I'm just standing there. While he's wrapping the cord, I'm standing there. I keep my big mouth shut. I really try to have no out, outward sign of anything. And then I say, awesome. Goes in there. Where does it go? And then he has to roll it into the right place. And even then the cord's kind of flopped on the floor. But hey, that's, that's week three. I have great hopes for week four. <laughs> okay, so now let's go on into a different scenario here. Uh, so this is elementary school and they do school announcements and they have a media team. So with John's self-contained classroom, they, those kids often, um, just have a lack of expressive language and a little bit of starstruckness or, or motor planning or behavior or stemming or fear or whatever it is that keeps them out of the, the, um, uh, broadcasting room. But uh, anyway, John got a chance up at bat, so here he is. It's on one of his band days. That's his band t-shirt that he's wearing, uh, band polo shirt. He loved that band so much, and he's still participating in band um, 
No, this must be in fifth grade because that's where he had a band. So fifth grade, forgive me. I said elementary, but that's wrong, fifth grade. So um, back to the, to the uh, microphones there. So anyway, he's the kid that's going to represent the self-contained classroom. So he has some kind of a little speech. I've heard the recording somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure where the video is, but he's got his little tiny quiet voice. And he says it's so quiet, but he gets through it. Now, I know from his hands that he's just twisting his fingers like crazy, but he gets through it all, and I don't think he has notes. He might be going from memory, or he might have a teacher there behind the camera that's kind of helping him with supports or signs. I'm not sure. I wasn't there. You see the two neurotypical anchors. They're sitting there, right? They're going to be running the, the morning announcements. And then John comes in, and maybe he gives the, the, the weather report or something like that. So, and then there's a second picture of it. So that would be on the screen, what the kids would see in all the classrooms. So this, and then you can see them uh, behind. So it's kind of like a picture of the picture. So in this case, yes, there was a teacher in there supporting him or at least somebody taking pictures for us. Um, so that's pretty awesome. When I first saw that, it was, oh, you know, just the fact that he'd have the cojones to get up in front of all the kids in, in the school and speak. You know, and a little tiny voice, but he said what he had to say. He said what he had to say. So it was right. It just wasn't loud. Sometimes they don't have to be loud to speak up, right? Sometimes that um, quiet voice just saying it once with authority and, and not, and he did it exactly appropriate. So when the heat was on, he did not stem. When, when the pressure was on and he had all those kids looking at him, he did not play mom like a harp. So whenever your kid's messing with you and you go, you know, you're frustrated with their, with the way that they're speaking up or their version of self-advocating or their version of renegotiating or trying to change the boundaries, playful, please, humor, please. And they're, they're doing it with you because you are the number one love object in their life. You are the most secure person. They can let it rip around you and they know that you will still love them. Now, in this case here, he's probably got the fear of God in him. <laughs> like, I can't do this thing wrong because I understand everybody in the school is looking at me on all of the monitors. And so in that case, his, uh, his behavior was very appropriate. And that's what we want, too. That when, when the eye of the public is on a kid and they're supposed to be doing the right thing and they do it, that's the time to celebrate. Now, when they come home and they just, you know flail all over you and what you wish they would do. That's, again, humor. Make a joke. Say, wow, you must have had quite a day, buster. And then see if they're, if they're going to talk. And I can tell you that, John, I'm getting more and more sentences out of John each day. So never, never give up on your kid's expressive speech. This kid did not have much vocabulary at all, age two. That's why we got into um, early childhood uh, intervention, ECI. I had to have a social worker come to the house. My shame was palpable. And then from then on, all right, we're living in the public eye because we got people coming and going out of the house because the kid can't talk. And then it brought in all kinds of other issues with autism spectrum and learning inefficiencies and self-contained classroom. And well, you guys know, you got that at your house. Okay. So now let's go to a third piece of... Um, kind of self-advocacy, but watching, paying attention. So even a different version of being in the public eye. So what you see here is back um, almost five years ago, 
we had been doing a lot of gymnastics. He loved the ropes. We had a tree branch in the front yard. And uh, I found a rope on Amazon, $70, that brown one with a loop in the top, about 25 feet. I bought it. And all you have to do is click, right? Bing, it was here. So I figured out how to get up there with a ladder, hung it over the branch, and he had a great time with it. He actually had more fun when any of the friends would come over and play because they would, you know, climb up on top of the branch. They were so monkey-like. And, and he's still kind of feeling, you know, working on the upper body strength. But um, he had, it, he always paid more attention to it when there were other kids around. And then I would knot the, the bottom even bigger so they would sit on it like a swing. Um, he, so that's him there with the midline crossover, all the reasons for therapy, and, uh, and then also the, the a neurotypical peer modeling. Now, there also was a sad little part of this story. Uh, I wrote some blogs about it, and we had uh, two public hearings in the neighborhood because the neighbor there that you see, for some reason, he, he was okay with the swing that had been in that tree for quite some time, but he just had a hissy fit about the code violation with the rope. And so he called the, the tree police on me, and we had to go into a hearing, and I was John's attorney for three minutes, and I quoted ADA and IDEA, and... Um, the, uh, the neighbor never bothered to show up. Um, the, uh, all the, the people in the township uh, court said, hey, it's a kid. That's fine. You know, um, and so John won. Then several months go by and I get another letter and it's an appeal. So long story made short, the neighbor had the right to appeal the case. So we did. We went back to court. So that's this last picture here. And it was such a rainy night that night. And for the first time, I, I had just gone in ourselves, and I was mad, 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 mad. And I was not going to let them win out of just, I never understood what it was. We, we went from good neighbors to bad neighbors so fast. Um, and it's been bad ever since, and I've never understood why. So uh, this, the second hearing, it was raining like crazy. But I had put out an APB to all my friends and John's friends with the Facebook and uh, emails that if anyone was available this night, the, you know, I gave him a short version of the story to please come and stand with John and his rope. Uh, uh, as we have our second hearing and the case has been appealed, he won, but now they're appealing it. And um, please come and support John and his rope. It was so awesome. So I show up at the, the township meeting and the guy sits, that's doing the volunteer work, the check-in. He said, why are you back? I said, well, he said, it's not that expletive rope, is it? And I said, yeah. And he said, boy, your neighbors are real expletive. Um, I, ironically, we had, um, had I not well, we, they moved us to the top of the, of the queue, of the roster. Uh, it was a rainy night. The, the room was filled. Uh, we had... There was three of us there, and then our friends started coming in, wet, dripping wet, special needs kids and their parents. And I was, I was just, oh, my heart was in my, my hand um, because we filled up two whole rolls. Our neighbor and his wife, she's a retired special ed teacher, for God's sakes. They come in, and they have to cross right in front of us. She said hi. To, we looked at each other. I said hi. She said hi. And that's the last time we've talked to each other. Um then, and they had to cross in front of us and sit down over there on the, kind of like uh, down toward the, the right-hand side of those rows that you see. And then as all the other people would come in, they would have to cross in front of them. And here's 
all these special special ed kids, special needs kids and their parents and everybody's wet and dripping. And they, anybody that came took a risk for the car being flooded, you know, with the streets. So that's row two. And we had a row one or maybe there was three rows. I forget how many rows there were. So when it was our turn to go first on the docket, I didn't even say anything. We only had three minutes. Several of the neighbors said, hey, I'd like to speak up for John on his behalf. So that's great. They did. John is paying attention. Doesn't look like he is there because he's got his his eyes on the uh, iPad there. But for the most part, he saw, he would look up on the screen and he would see his house. And they had pictures of the rope hanging in the tree in the front of the house. And so he's this is his, this is his second time in court here. And it is a school night and, and it is a lot of adrenaline and anticipation and and I'm dragging him in there and he might have something to eat or he might not. I kind of forget. And so paying attention to the room, what's up on the screen. This is before it convened anyway. So he's getting a chance to be in the room. People would, would look at him. They might ask him questions. I don't remember it being extensive. Um, but the, uh, the people that showed up for the second meeting, all those friends that you see there, they're the ones that spoke on his behalf. At the end of our three minutes uh, to rest our case, one of the uh, there was a lady in a pink um, uh, sweater, across pink jacket across the room on the other side, who was there for an entirely different case. She said, "Judge, can I please address the court?" And they said, "Sure." And it turns out she is an ex pediatric nurse, and she was talking about the benefits of you know helping a kid and the and the hand over hand and how uh, you know the the whole how important it all was. And so with the first case, they'd given me three conditions. I agreed to meet them. When we go back for the appeal, the three conditions are still in force. They find for John to get to keep the rope. Um, it's a funny conversation. It's, it's like sad and funny all at the same time. But um, he was, he, I brought him there. I wasn't going to farm him out somewhere else. I wanted him to see, this is your house, dude. This is your rope. This is what we're going to have to do if you want to keep your rope because we've just got some controversy unexpectedly. So it was so nice, so gratifying that so many of the neighbors, they, they sent messages, they said prayers, they came with the flood warnings and then at the township meeting. Um, and uh, then uh, anyway, we had, the, I mentioned that the surprise angel on, on the other side of the room and that, oh, it's a pink shirt, not a pink jacket. And uh, anyway, so there we go. So. I'm not sure what else you have in your life examples of. Um, probably something today that your kid lipped off to you and you and, and maybe you like, oh, I'm gonna get the belt, man. I'm gonna I even found myself today being really frustrated with John about something he was his bad version, his age is age inappropriate, um, attention seeking, wrong way to self-advocate. And I remember the words coming out of my mouth, John, I'm about to spank you which of course is not a good thing to say, right? And then I said, oops, wait, no, plank. You're going to plank. And he go, oh no, I don't want to plank. So whenever he would give me renegotiation that I was not interested in, I would say, John, do you list that we've already agreed to or plank? List or plank? And then he'll go for the list, right? So it's calling his bluff. It's negotiating. It's that back and forth banter that our, sometimes our kids may not get because if their lack of expressive speech and the quiet of the car and nobody talks, then years go by and, and pretty soon everybody just, everybody just gets in the habit of not speaking. I've noticed that. 
Whereas when you're around neurotypical kids, the yak and yammer is just going on constantly. So how do we give our kids that richer vocabulary? How do we keep the banter going? How do we let them understand onomatopoeia and social and, social and eye body language and um, uh, uh, in, innuendo, things like that, right? So anyway, I said, okay, you're going to plank? And so he went to planking. But you, So there has to be boundaries. There has to be a, a list. There has to be certain rules. But at the same time, I've got to just ease up on my, you know, got to get it done kind of thing. Because as he learns to self-advocate more and more, he's got to win. He has got to win. Not so much. He just has to feel like he won, but not at, at the expense of of um, uh, rebellion, you know, like he's going to go out and die from this kind of stuff when he gets older. So it's how do we teach our kids nuances, right? Um, the small nuances, like when is a joke not funny anymore? You don't keep saying it over and over again. So all of these, it's social emotional learning, it's social skills. And you, you just, you have to almost get it with the flow of the day with other kids, with the, the voice in undulation or the eye roll or, or something like that. It's not like you can just give them a video to watch because there's too many variations with what the eyes and the voice are saying. How's the body moving? How do you interact? How, when do you need to, when is one more funny ha ha not funny anymore? Anyway. So I belabor the point. Forgive me. Um, I hope these might be some kind of ideas for you. The main thing is <laughs> we want them to move forward. Their brain is wired to rebel against whatever childhood love language they had when they were a little one. So if you thought you had all of the, uh, the best triggers in the best way, reinforcers in the best way for them, and all of a sudden they're, going the, they're not falling for that anymore, it's 180, degree, 180 degree, degrees the other way, it's because the brain is wired for that. The difference between the love languages of kids and the love languages of teenagers, those two books, is are going to do a 180 um, change on the, their love languages because their brain is primal, primally wired toward independence, which means they've got to push away from you, even if, even if it means that they're going to like hack you off or piss you off or run away or whatever it is. Like today, something else happened. So we're doing Taekwondo virtually, and he kicks, does a roundhouse kick, and whacks his foot on the chair. And I'm sure it was painful. And he, it was just enough. His, he, his bucket was just like spewing at that point. So he did about three or four. Like he yelled and he threw the chair on the floor and he slammed a door and he yelled something at somebody that was there with him. And then he stomped through the house, whacked the dog, ran out in the backyard and, and, and ran around uh, some. So he, then he circled the house and came back in and he knew he had to pull it together and he had to apologize. So in, it took him about maybe 15 seconds to realize, yikes, I really did the wrong thing. And, and he has said he has been sorry. So definitely remorse, but wow, man, he really blew his top. So in a case like that, he's got to learn how to self-regulate and bring it back, calm down. And really the less I said, the better, because I need to say less. And less and less. And he needs to speak up more and more and learn to self-advocate, even if it's got to be done differently. And we talked about how we're going to start over again. And when he apologized to Shauna for the ugly thing that he said, we talked about, yes, I'm facing my own inner demons <laughs> as a kid, just to be kind of silly. But um, we talked about what he's going to do next time. 
And so that's another part of helping to train our kids with neural pathways toward the right way to learn how to speak up is that if it comes out inappropriate, that we don't just don't just say what it's wrong, how it's wrong, but we got to practice the right way. And we got to build a couple of iterations on those neural pathways the right way, because otherwise they don't they don't have anything except maybe some memory. But even then they never saw it modeled. So it's just not enough for us to throw words back at them. So we practiced. We did it about five times, you know, and so the bottom line was then he, he, he practiced saying, oh, that hurts, or, or, or some kind of explanation, or he understands that it's okay, to, um, it's okay to be angry. You just don't throw things, and you don't get to yell, and you don't get to slam the doors, things like that. You don't get to be rude to people. So helping our kids with self-regulation actually helps them toward learning how to speak up appropriately. And then if it's not appropriate, then we help them make it appropriate. And then that still helps them to self-advocate better and better in the future. But we do have to help them know how to do it right. And so it probably takes extra practice. Just exactly what you wanted to hear. <laughs> Isn't it? Okay, well, I'm, thank you for your time. Peace be with you. Um, it's a new world tomorrow. <laughs> Alrighty. Talk to you soon.